This is a production from The Companion. Sci-fi served fresh. You're listening to my interview with someone we like so much we cast her in Stargate Atlantis in two different roles. She started acting at a young age, but made her name in sci-fi with one of the most beloved series of the genre, Firefly. From The Companion, this is my conversation in sci-fi with the wonderful Jewel State. Last time we actually saw each other, I think it was when we were sitting, I, we just happened to be sitting next to each other on an airplane flying to Toronto. Yes. And you were, I don't know if you were prep or post for a movie, oh, uh, how to arrange a small, an origin in a small town. Oh, it was that movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I just remember being quite intrigued by the title. Yeah. It was such a cute movie too. It, it, uh, it did really well to the festival circuit and it ended up being really sweet. Well, as, as all orgy movies should, I mean, that's, that's exactly <laughs> just total romance there. Yeah, no, I, and, and you have been, you have been nonstop. You are, you currently have a show family law. Yes. With, with Victor. With amazing Victor Carver. Isn't he wonderful? I love Victor. He's, oh, he's such a great guy. He's the best. And he's also very funny and very dry. So we have uh, a similar sense of humor and work ethic. And I just love, love, love him. When I, when he, he did, I only ever worked with him once uh, on, on Stargate. What did you do with him on Stargate? He did, he did an episode of Stargate, yeah. Did he really? Yeah, yeah. I, I never I, told me that. I don't even remember which one it was. I just remember going, uh, our casting guy going, uh, you know who would be really great for this would be Victor Garber. And I went, yes, just, just yes, just offer to him, yes. Because <laughs> I just, I've always just loved the guy. He has so much gravitas and yet, and yet a light, he's just, he's just a great actor. And I, and I think the choices that he's made in his career have been really interesting. And I mean, Jesus, he started yep. with that. <laughs> yep. That's usually the first one that comes up. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, that's one of my favorite plays, actually. Yeah. We always try and get him to sing, but, you know, we, we, I don't think we've given him enough um, red wine yet for that to happen. <laughs> but, you know, I have faith, basically, is what I'm saying, that I'll get there. That he will. <laughs> do you do, do you, do you like the theater? Do you ever perform on stage? I haven't performed on stage since I was a little kid. That's kind of where I got all my my acting training was in theater school. That's how I began. You started you started acting in, in film and television young too, right? Yeah, when I was five. Yeah, but um, I I did a lot of theater training for years. There was this great little theater school here called Vancouver Youth Theater for kids, and it was it was hard work, but, but we would work on these shows and then um, sell tickets and perform them in in you know, actual theaters for, for live audiences and critics. And so it, it taught me a lot about work ethic and long days and what it takes to put on a great show. And I loved it, but, you know, I know for a fact that theater is one of the hardest things you can do as an actor. And I'm just blown away when I see a show and, and know that they're doing that show eight times a week. I, 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 I don't understand where they get the, uh, the energy. I mean, it just takes so much out of you. Well, especially, especially to, bring, to bring it on a matinee that is uh, where the, the house is half full. Yeah, exactly, right? Yeah. Like, you, no matter what, you have to bring it every single time. And I'm in awe, man, of theater actors. I'm just in total awe of them. I was listening to... Um, the New York Times podcast, The Daily, recently, and they had an episode on about Broadway and how Broadway has been shut down this whole time through COVID, right? right. And, and they're finally up and running again. And it follows a show, a, a new show that was about to debut right when COVID hit. I, I think their opening night was the night everything got shut down. So they, oh they, they were, can you imagine? They were, oh. they were in hair and makeup. They were getting ready to perform. And then every, like the entire plug was pulled on Broadway at 5 p.m. or something. So the show never got to, you know, be seen. So now all these actors are back and they're ready to go and they actually get their opening night. And I was so moved because I know how much work goes into 
making those shows what they are. So they're finally getting their debut. And it was, that was very moving to me. That would be, especially if it was the same people, because it's two years later, yeah. it might not be the same people. And but it was, to, to, it, everybody came back. You've got to listen to it. It was, it was very, um, very emotional just because, you know, they, these people had such high hopes, right? Imagine being an actor and you finally get a show that's on Broadway and then it falls to pieces because of COVID. MGM had a show with, uh, in, you know, obviously I can't, I think it was Handmaids. Yeah. And I, and I, uh, and they had one day yeah. left on their shooting schedule when everything shut down Oh God! and they couldn't finish the season because that day was just, Oh, so they literally had to wait, I don't know how many, 18 months before they could, they could come back, shoot the one day wow. and put the rest, put the season in the can. I mean, that's, wow. I just imagine the the producers saying to their, you know, the studio saying to the writers, isn't there a way we can, and, you know, and <laughs> yeah. going, no, no, we saved it for the last day. We blew it. That's what happens. I mean, there's nothing anyone could do, right? No matter what situation or timeline you were in on your production, shut down meant shut down right now, right away. I know. And, and you're, you're, an, you're an actor, works mostly in television. And how did that affect you? How did that well, we were shooting um, the first block of, of season one of Family Law. So we right. we do everything in blocks, right? Episodes one and two right. were block one, you know, you know how it works. Um, <laughs> and uh, we had shot for two weeks, almost exactly. And Victor had had three days of shooting because we, we got him late because he was on another show. So we were... I mean, I don't even know if we could say we were in our group yet. You know, we were just getting to know each other. Yeah. Um, and then there were these rumblings happening that Riverdale had shut down and there was another show that shut down and, you know, Martin Garrow was up here doing um, Kung Fu. Right. And uh, he said, I think we've got to shut down. So they shut down and I'm going, oh my God, what's happening? And then Monday morning we went to work. We shot a couple of scenes. The producers were on the phone the entire time. And then at lunchtime, there was an announcement that said, sorry, guys, but um, everything's shutting down. So that's that. And we all went home and it was the most bizarre feeling of, well, what now? It was scary. It was really, it was I mean, scary. It was, it was scary. You know, if you weren't in the film industry, for God's sake, it was a terrifying time, right? Going to the grocery store was terrifying. So I, I, I uh, yeah, it was a very trippy few months for sure. Well, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm a writer and I was in the middle of doing a pilot, uh, which required me sitting at my computer writing every day. Yeah. And my wife is an artist. So in, in some respects, our life hardly changed. I mean, we, yeah. it, it was just the adventure of going to the, going to the grocery store and, and uh, <laughs> I'll go, I'll go, <laughs> yeah. you know, put on the mask and you go, I, I wore a mask before people were, were wearing masks, but it's just because oh, I, yeah. it struck me. Well, in Travelers, we did, uh, and, and I've done a lot of science fiction where that featured pandemics, and and you know, step one is put on a mask, and and the and it's and I knew that the only reason they were saying don't put on a mask yet was because they were afraid for a run on masks, and they wanted the healthcare professionals to have first access. Right. So, and as, right. as you know from playing Dr. Keller, mm -hmm. and and probably other doctors over your career, but. <laughs> You know, you learn a little bit just from your uh, your uh, consultants, your technical consultants. So, oh yeah, oh yeah. I had masks early and was was the guy in the grocery store with a mask on that made it, I, people were looking at me oddly because I had a mask on. They thought I made mm -hmm. it. Yeah, I I did the mask thing right away too, for sure, for sure. I don't, and I've never really stopped to be honest. It's kind of um, nice. <laughs> Is that weird to say? <laughs> I like wearing I a mask. <laughs> Well, like anonymity. Famous, so. well it's a, yeah, it's anonymity that comes with it, right? It's like a hat and a mask. And let me tell you, no one's going to be talking to you. It's pretty great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, that's, that's, a, that's a thing, you know. I, the, the one thing that writers have an advantage, I guess it's an advantage. I mean, I like it. Nobody comes up to me in a restaurant and asks for my autograph. You know, I, <laughs> I, but I'm with, sometimes I'm, I have lots of actor friends and, and, I mean, it must be hard. How do you how do you deal with that? How do you deal with it? Um, it's it's fine, honestly. It's not like I'm a I'm a big deal or anything. But you know, most of the people that come up are are so lovely. And if they if they have the chutzpah to come up and say anything, 
um, they're, they're big fans. You right. know, they, they, um, I've been in that position. I've, I've met actors before where I, I'm, I'm a big enough fan to potentially make an ass of myself and go and say hello. Um, so they're excited and it, it ends up being this really awesome, very heartwarming exchange, very gratifying exchange for me too. Right. It's like, Oh wow, this person really cares about the stuff I've done. Um, but most of the time people just stare at me funny. I get a lot of weird looks. I mean, it's, it's, it's like the kind of look where you're like, do I have like mustard on my face or no, they just, they know, they know you, but sometimes yeah, they, don't, so it's, they haven't placed it. They haven't placed it. So it's just like the staring is a little weird. Do you ever, <laughs> do people ever say you look a lot like Jewel State? Yes. Do people ever, yeah. I, Brad, I got that in an elevator once I was with friends and a guy's in the elevator with his friends. And he says, has anybody ever told you? you look like Jewel State. And my <laughs> friend started laughing and he said, no, no, it's a compliment. <laughs> yeah, that is actually pretty good. I have to say. <laughs> You're still yeah. friends, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. They had a really, they loved that story. They had a really good laugh. Back uh, when, when um, uh, I was doing The Outer Limits, which was a uh, very long time ago, uh, I did an episode with uh, David Hyde Pierce uh, yep. of, uh, of Fraser fame, who, by the way, is the funniest human being I have ever met in my life. I mean, tears. I believe you. Uh, and, uh, and he was nice enough because he, that was the last episode we shot of the, uh, of the season. And I invited him to the rap party and he came and he was lovely. And, and then as, uh, as he was leaving, I, I, I just walked him up to say thank you and goodbye. And, 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 he, and there was people there who, who uh, said, you look like, you look like that guy from Fraser. And he said, I am. And they went, no, you're not. Mm -hmm. And I said, uh, and they said, he said, Brad, Brad, tell them I'm who I am. And I went, it's true. It, that's, this is David Ogden Steers. <laughs> no, it was. Yeah, uh, I've, he, I've been in like kind of arguments with people where they, they'll say, they'll be talking about, you know, Firefly or something, which was a long time ago. And I'll say, um, well, I was in that show. And they look at me with, you know, this look like, and then they'll say, no. And, I, and I'm like, no, I, I was, I, I promise. You were? Really? Like it, it's like, it becomes like a funny little argument where they Just say they shiny and they'll figure it out. <laughs> it's a riot. That, speaking of Firefly, that to me is probably the best show ever made that should not have got canceled. Oh, thank you. I remember, I remember uh, talking to an executive at, uh, at Fox who shall go nameless. Oh yes. Saying that he thought it was a mess. And I went, what is wrong with you? <laughs> it is the best show on television right now. And, and, and they're, I think they're the reason, well, changing the order of the pilot, all of those things. It was just, what's wrong with you people? Yeah. It was ahead of its time. Yeah, I think from the very beginning, it was clear to us that we were not a favorite with the network. We were very much the underdog. And uh, we knew that our, our, uh, our days were limited there. So I think we just made the most of it and tried to have the best time we possibly could. And because of that, I, honestly, the whole experience is just full of nothing but really great memories and then you got a chance to make a movie yeah and then we got to make a movie and the whole time we were shooting the movie we weren't worried about getting canceled so that was <laughs> nice too <laughs> now i have i've always wanted to know did you just did they just rebuild the set from scratch yes wow yes they did that was a big ship it was and the second set the movie set was much bigger we shot in i think it i don't know if it still is but at the time it was the biggest sound stage in the world on the universal back lot stage 12 and the little trams with the tourists would come by every 15 minutes giving the the universal studios tour and would say this is the biggest sound stage in the world and right now it's housing a spaceship well, the Brit, the Brit studios where we where we were doing atlantis that the effect stage was the largest effect stage in the world yeah, that was a big stage. That was enormous. Yes, yes. And that that Atlantis set that we bought for a dollar off of the Blade Two uh, 
That, yeah, that's you probably I don't even know if you know that that gigantic. I don't know any no because I came late when yeah, I came yeah. in it was I mean such a well-oiled machine that yeah I, I was just sort of thrust into it all well we built when we built the the Atlantis set that it was huge but it, it and it filled that entire stage and we had little corridors but this was supposed to be a show about a massive place and so we needed more space and so the movie Blade was being shot and it was a gigantic steel set and we knew we could build within it. We knew we could add to it. And, mm -hmm. and by the time we got there, it, it was, there was probably a half dozen stages in that giant set, right? Mm -hmm. At least. Mm -hmm. was it was fun. so beautiful when I got there. My God, it was so, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a showstopper. Remember when fans would come, you know, and we would have contests or whatever. Yeah. And they would get to tour the set and seeing people's face when they walked in the door. It's a pretty big wow. I mean, it's one big piece. It is. It's pretty cool. It is. And I and I used to go when we were doing two shows at once. Uh, going going between stage five and six was going from one galaxy to another. It was, <laughs> you know, between the SGC set and and then across the across the hall to the Atlantis set. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So, you know, you're one of the few people who uh, played two characters in Atlantis. Yes. The first time with a giant chunk of prosthetic makeup on all day. Yes. Three and a half hours worth, I like to say. Oh, my God. Talk about that. Yeah. Um, you know, Brad, I didn't know what a wraith was. Okay. <laughs> this is full disclosure time with you. I, I got the script. I really liked it. I liked the role very much of this sweet wraith girl raised by a human wraith with the heart of gold all that so i thought wow this is cool i like this and the breakdown said some prosthetics required Are you serious so brad doesn't that sound rather vague to you it sounds mean it sounds cruel <laughs> it was mean and cruel because i thought well no problem i've done that you were amazing. And the feral scenes, the scenes where you are quite feral and attack, uh, that's, that was pretty, that was, uh, you don't often get, okay, you don't often as an actor get to do that stuff. No, you certainly don't. That was my first day too. That was my first day. We did that to you on your first day? Yeah, my first day and first time I ever met uh, any of them. So first time I met Joe Flanagan, David, Paul, Rachel, that was my first day. Oh my God. Yeah. And I remember it was a Friday because um, I had this, this scene where I jump off a log onto Joe. I remember. And we kind of wrestle. And he sort of is doing this with my arms. And we had like a little bit of a stunt fight worked out. And he kind of swung and he caught me <gasps> in the cheek. Um, and I didn't, I didn't know anything. I mean, I was wearing a mask basically. Right? right. So I didn't remember until the end of the day when the prosthetics come off and I've got this sort of broken blood vessel on my, like, it looks like at the beginning of a black eye. And I was flying out the next morning to LA for the serenity publicity photo shoot. Oh no. <laughs> I thought, oh my God. <laughs> So I got there and everyone, what the hell happened to you? And I said, you guys, it's a long story. I don't want to get into it. <laughs> I'm in the middle of a very weird job right now. And I just don't want to talk about it. <laughs> like, okay. So they ended up just putting a bunch of makeup on it and covering it up for this photo shoot. Um, well, uh, it's, it's very nice after that experience that you're even here talking to me, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it, it is what it is, right? And, and Annie Makita was directing, who I love so yes. much and he's one of our uh executive producers on family law and he directs a lot of our episodes and i he's just always got my back always has always will and i love him um love so you know he was just he was great at kind of coaching me through the whole thing and and then we got to the the you know actual scenes where we were doing dialogue and all that and and the following week um but it was a weird experience because I think when you're wearing that much makeup and you look that crazy, people don't necessarily come and sit and talk to you. It's the weirdest thing. It's, it's I, I'm aware of that. And, and, and I have made a point sometimes to go and sit with the person because 
Yes. Quite often, it's also uncomfortable, and you're just and I don't. It's hard to know whether or not they just they want to be alone. Yes. <laughs> because they want to get out of this damn makeup, or or they're just right. Because you're like you're in the happy place, right? Like mentally, you're like I need to be in the happy place right now so I can get through this day and concentrate on my breathing, and you know, especially when the contacts are in and the teeth and all that. Um, but yeah, so it was this, this, this odd week, but you know, everyone was very kind to me, especially David, who I think was like a Firefly fan and was, you know, just asking me a bunch of questions about Firefly. Um, <laughs> David's as much of a nerd as, as I am. We, we're both uh, fans one and of, one of my favorite things. Um, uh, so yeah. And then, and then after that, I, I think that I, I can't remember who it was who asked me, would you come back? Would you come, would you come back as this character? And I thought, oh my God, like, how do I say, you know, this was really, really uncomfortable. I'm not sure I can do this kind of uh, three and a half hour, 3 a.m. call time uh, makeup every day. Um, but luckily, you know, I looked so unlike myself that I was able to return later on and play some. As Dr. Keller. Yeah. That was that was a fun. I mean, that was a fun part. And yes, and you, um, I was I was talking to Bob Carter the other day. You had the same experience he had, where you were coming into a show that was already up and running, mm-hmm. and and uh, hopefully you felt welcome because you, you certainly you certainly um, performed as though you, you were part of the machine that was already running. I I was very nervous so I don't know Brad maybe that's just a testament to uh, how well I can fake it um I was scared I was nervous I was also really nervous because I was replacing you know and I and I wasn't I wasn't saying that word at the time but that's really what it was I was I was replacing a, another character as, as as the doctor of the show and you know, Paul's character was so well loved, right? I mean, all I heard was how much everyone loved Dr. Beckett. And, and, you know, I remember going to work one day and there were, were Dr. Beckett fans outside Bridge Studios picketing with signs. And I had to cross the picket line to go to work. Yeah. So it was, it was, and there was a petition circulating around the set you know, being signed to get Dr. Beckett back. And I just thought, wow, this is intense. And then I think one of my first scenes was performing brain surgery on another very well-loved character, um, Tori's character on the show, Dr. Weir. And I'm thinking, oh my God, like I have so many bullets coming at me right now. They were like, who's this new girl? Right. And, and I just felt like I had a million and one things to prove. And I realized that Dr. Keller felt the same way. So it helped. You tapped into that for the character. Yes, I did. And I found her honesty and I, I found her courage eventually. But what I loved the most about her was how human she was. You know, we were lucky in that we had so many heroic characters on that show, especially female heroic characters, but not everybody's a hero. And sometimes, um, you know, a character can become a reluctant hero eventually, but she was afraid and she was well out of her element and she was trying something new and taking risks and her trepidation. I think she, um, found a common ground with Rodney in and they both had that sort of oh man I don't want to do this kind of thing um and and maybe developed a kinship from that because I know off screen David and I (laughs) both feel that way as well (laughs) we're like ew it's raining (laughs) I don't want to be here so you know we we called each other the you know the crappy pants uh team because we would just sort of sit back and be freezing cold shooting these crazy scenes outside and being crabby together. Um, but yeah, eventually Keller found her way and I was, I was so glad she did. I had stepped back a little bit in the last two uh, seasons of Atlantis uh, while still, I was still very much in the writer's room, but I wasn't running the show per se. Yeah. But I, my, my, I think my favorite Atlantis experience was uh, with my last episode 
the shrine. Yeah. Which was a huge uh, Keller McKay episode. Yeah. Uh, where in the last scene of that episode, he says he loves you. Yes. But you don't tell him. He doesn't him that. remember saying it. Yeah. He doesn't remember saying that. That that was that that, that was a pretty powerful scene and your reaction in that in that whole your your whole role in that episode seeing someone disappear in front of you was really strong. Mm-hmm. And then speaking of brain surgery, you did that too with the drill. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I love that episode too. That's one of my favorites. I, I love it. I mean, I you know, I I love the adventure episodes. I love the the episodes with lots of you know battle going on and all that. It's those are great fun to watch, but it's also really nice to to have an episode where the characters are able to explore their relationships and be vulnerable and and move forward, take a step forward in their their personal journeys, you know. And so to see Rodney put his walls down, be forced to put his walls down a little bit, is interesting. Well, it was it, it, by then too. I mean, it was a great it was a great way to demonstrate the the chops our actors had in that show. And 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 I tried to give a, a meaty moment at least or two or three to to everyone in it. And and everybody was bloody good. Everybody rose uh to the occasion. The the scene where um the scene where uh uh <laughs> Joe actually drank three beers that that mm-hmm. late morning and the beer on the pier scene and mm-hmm. might have ruined his afternoon but it really it really made that that uh, that scene that vulnerable moment between those two characters uh nice after all those seasons you know yes it was, it was great fun yeah the other thing and i probably should have led with this but <laughs> i i am so happy to have you aboard uh for our stargate ai project Ah, me too. It's going to be a riot. It's going to be so much fun. And and I don't know if you know the story uh, of um, of how it came about, but I'll just I'll just reiterate it for the listeners. The uh, the companion wanted to do a read through of a number of cast from any project, frankly. And I I didn't want to do something old. And they said, well, maybe there was a a, a scene from way back that. Uh, that you wrote or wanted to do and never did. And, and, and as Joe Malazzi pointed out, if we came up with a good idea, we, we shot it. <laughs> That's what happens when you make 300 plus hours of TV. You have to, you have no choice. Right. But then um, just as the pandemic was hitting, uh, uh, before that, like the, the winter before the pandemic hit, MGM asked me to write a Stargate pilot uh, for a new series, which I was excited to do. And then of course the pandemic hit just as I was doing revisions on the pilot. And, and then the executive who asked for it at a, at one of the broadcasters left that job. And then an executive at MGM moved on and then Amazon bought MGM and the the project has languished, um, and may still come back. I don't know, but the point is crazy business. uh, It's a crazy business. They asked me for God's sakes, Mm -hmm. but, um, then I had the idea. It can't be anything I wrote. It can't be a new project. Amazon owns the show now, but what if it was an AI? What if we could get an AI to do it? And the fun part of all that is, is that Lawrence Maroney, who I don't know if you've met yet, but you will on the on the thing, cool. is the lead AI expert at Google. And he, I went, and when I, I said, let's just put it out there, I bet somebody will jump in. Sure enough, we got probably the world's foremost expert on the subject. Uh, and I had met him coincidentally uh, when he was at Microsoft uh, for something he did on Stargate. And he is so brilliant. You know, I don't know if, you, if this happens to you as a fellow nerd. Uh, you play a smart person on TV. I write things for the smart person. But when you meet an actual smart person, don't you get a little, don't you feel a little? Oh, I know. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, inferior. Uh, that's how well, I, I feel. Inferior is the wrong word. But. <laughs> I go, wow, you actually did this for, for real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But he is a wonderful, warm uh, um, man who actually, I said, you have the best job. And he, and he said, actually, Brad, you have my dream job. So, you know, that's the way the world works, right? We all, the mm-hmm. grass is always greener. Sure. And so he has come up with bots, which are uh, individual models uh, for AIs, separate AIs to write. And he is writing a Keller bot right. based on everything you said and everything you did. Uh, in the show and how they respond 
how the how your character responded to other characters, mm-hmm. and he's using that to write new dialogue, and that just that, that just that's a new approach, by the way. Nobody's ever done that before. It's wild. And so you will probably recognize at least the tone of of, of some of what you say in in, in this script. Amazing. I can't wait. It's going to be very interesting. I think it's going to be fun. It is going to be fun. We've got good people coming too. It's going to be great. It, it, first of all, it's people I, I know who would be enthusiastic about it. Yeah. Uh, obviously, we can't do everyone. We can't do the whole cast. But uh, sure. it's possible maybe this is just the first one we do, you know? Yeah, exactly. And the fans need something new too. Yeah. It's yeah. a strange project. Yes. I'm I'm really excited about it, and and of course by the time this airs, it, we, we uh, uh, not airs but goes up. It'll be uh, it, it will have been announced. So I'm very excited to have you aboard. Thank you. I'm excited too. It'll be good. Uh, Amanda, fellow nerd Amanda Tapping, uh, jumped on it, uh, and, but part of her interest in it is the behind the camera stuff too. It's 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 uh-huh. you know the same with David, and obviously same with you. It's just the. Uh, wow, is this 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 is like cutting edge stuff? I hope I'm not replaced. <laughs> I don't You're think not going I will to be. be. <laughs> don't worry, Brad. Don't worry. <laughs> I hear a lot of actors say, "I hope I'm not replaced by a robot too." So you know. Well, it's true. It's true. I mean, uh, what are they? There's called nothing that? like the real thing, baby. <laughs> don't you worry. <laughs> well, at least in my lifetime. Uh, I mean, it's... <laughs> and mine too. We'll be okay. Yeah, I think so. I think so. When you when you were in fandom, like you you are an actor who has has you've not by any means uh, been limited to sci-fi, but but sci-fi has a bigger fan. Uh, the fandom in sci-fi is quite special. Mm-hmm. You do a lot of conventions. Do you have a special relationship with our with sci-fi fandom? Oh yeah, I think so. I I, I think sci-fi fans are I, the most loyal in the world. I I am so grateful for the sci-fi fandom because without them, you know, there are a lot of things, other things that I've done that wouldn't have have had as much success if it weren't for them. I just feel like they support you and have your back, and you know, with Family Law, even they've been. It's a it's a law show. It's a law show, and they're they're still behind it and telling their friends and tweeting about it. You know. Uh, watch what watch Jules new show and it's just it's so it, it makes me emotional because that it's just very um special to to have still have have those people um pushing me forward and and wishing for my success but you know I've been doing the convention circuit for so many years my god I mean Firefly. almost 20 I think yeah yeah and I see a lot of the same faces you know they're still going um, and, and still coming out to support the show. And, and I've, I've learned a lot about that over the years and that the actors being there are fun for them for sure, but they've created relationships with other fans online and, and go to the conventions to see their friends. So they make plans and share hotel rooms and go to parties and have a laugh. And so it's, it's, the community that they've created with each other that's the most moving thing of all you know they they meet they fall in love they have kids they show their kids the shows and and their their kids love the show and it, they create new generations of fans so it's it's really quite something and the impact you have on on their lives too i mean i i know um i know that uh, and i and i'm i think uh, uh, female uh, roles that are strong characters and 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 uh, and especially in STEM. Uh, Amanda has been, and people have come up to Amanda many times and said, you're the reason I, I'm in science. You're the reason I, I have a PhD now. Uh, and that's always blown me away. Yeah, that's, it's pretty mind blowing. I don't yeah. get, I don't uh, get to do many conventions because they, they want to see you. They want to see the face. Uh, right. But, but uh, what they don't realize is that you wrote it. <laughs> that's what I say. You know, when they say, you know, I, you, you are the reason I say, you know, I, I just got lucky. I just got lucky to be in the right place at the right time and get chosen to play this person. But somebody else wrote it. These, these characters belong to someone else. <laughs> They're from someone else's brain. So it's, it's funny that they don't always make that connection. First of all, I take 
I disagree a little bit with that because I think I think when you um, the creation of a character is a is a fusion between the actor and the and the and the writers. I mean, the, I, I, the the writer neither should take full credit for the creation of a character. It's it's and when it when a character is really strong, it means that the writer and the and the performer have clicked and mm -hmm. and found a voice together. And eventually, if not very quickly, the writer starts following your lead right. as a, as an actor. Right. And we start hearing your cadence and start trying to reproduce that. Mm -hmm. And that makes it easier. And suddenly actors after the pilot say, oh, my lines are a lot easier to say. It's because we're following your, your lead, right? Right. No, you know what? You, you are right because um, I've noticed um, we, we have lots of writers on Family Law. Susan Nielsen is our showrunner. I love Susan. I was going to bring her up. She's the best, man. She's just, oh, I, I love her so much. But she and I have really have clicked as people, as friends. And her scripts are the easiest for me to memorize because she writes in my voice. So it's, it's like she's got the rhythm of the way I speak and it, and, and it just, it, it clicks so much faster in my brain and it's so much easier to memorize. So yeah, you're right. I totally get what you mean. Well, she's, uh, as showrunner, when a, a writer, doesn't matter who they are, if, if they don't have, as a creator showrunner, I think it's my job to make sure that rhythm is there and to, yeah. and to do a pass and, and, until, until it is. And eventually, of course, everybody catches on. Uh, but it can take, it could take half a year. It could take some time. And right. I think it's important to make sure that the, that the actors and the audience hear the same character voice. Sure. And, and um, I know it's a, it, it, it's erased most of my weekends uh, when I'm running a show to do a dialogue pass for that reason. Sure. Uh, even if it's a, a, an established writer on but, but it's important. Yes. It's really important as an actor for you to hear that, to read it and go, this is my character. Right. And not go, how do I stuff this in my mouth? This, I, right. this is not my, I know that for two reasons. First of all, uh, I was an actor too, years and years and years ago, mm -hmm. and uh, not, not a good one, but I understand <laughs> what it's like to, definitely not a good one. Like, mm -hmm. I, I actually stupidly put myself in, in a couple of uh, shows early on, and, uh, and I, 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 that was dumb. I'll never do that again. <laughs> but I, I do recognize what it's like when, when somebody tries to, uh, to say a line of dialogue uh, and, and I try to write like that. I think it's important mm -hmm. for, uh, for um, every writer to at least try to read a scene of their own and see if that, oh, this sounds like shit. <laughs> right, right. Yes. And does this come naturally? Yes. All of those things. Yeah. So, so um, you were, uh, just to talk a little bit about other, you've worked with some big names. You've worked with uh, Joss uh, Whedon. You've worked with Brian yeah. Fuller. Yeah. Uh, Mark Garrow. He's a big mm -hmm. name now. Your friend, I know he friend. is. He's a big deal. <laughs> He's such a great guy. I know. So, I, love I, 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 I don't like saying people are, I, I don't like it when people say I'm proud of you because it's kind of, there's a certain proprietary aspect of it, but I, I am proud of Martin. I really am because he was a story editor on, on, and I taught him everything I knew and, and now he could teach me so much because he's gone he's so amazing. far. Yeah. He's amazing. But what was the, what was the, I can't remember the show that you did after, it was Martin's show, LA Complex. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You were really, really good in that. Thanks. You had, I mean, you, speaking of acting shops, you are, you were a really good actor. And I, and I, and I think, Thank you. I think that your, your, uh, your range is, is, uh, is, is, is enormous as demonstrated by the fact that you could play a young Wraith uh, slash Frankenstein monster. Um, and I hope, I hope you, uh, I hope you start getting uh, the, the recognition. Uh, of course, people from BC never get acting uh, when acting awards in Canada. But <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's wrong, isn't it? We're used to it. But Martin's always felt looking for things for you to do. I, I hope, uh, I hope after family law, you, uh, you and he, he, one of his 11 or 12 shows by then. Yes. You'll end up working together. Well, he's, he's been trying to get LA Complex back up and running. So it's been this, this thing that keeps coming up and he keeps saying, you know, so if, if 
someone else is interested and it might happen. So Martin just carries this torch for LA Complex for, for some reason. So he, I think it's unfinished business to him. So I wouldn't be surprised if I get another phone call about that. Well, he, you know, he created it from whole cloth. It's, uh, it's, 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 uh, and it was a damn good show. I mean, I, yeah. I, it was underrated. And I think, I think in this modern uh, television universe where there's, I mean, I have friends who say I'm in a show and I'll go, I'm sorry, I didn't, I've never even heard of it. And Oh, I know, I know. And I've made shows that people have said, I'm sorry, I've never even heard of it. Uh, Travelers was on for three years and and, and I, I'm very proud of it. And, and uh, it went away, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, Jen, we've got Jen Spence for Family Law. She and I go toe-to-toe in the courtroom together quite a few times. Um, And uh, I just love her. She is such a badass and such a great actor. My God. You know, it's funny when you're doing episodic TV because we have a lot of great actors come through, but then someone will come through like her and you're like, oh, you're you're a star, <laughs> you know, the, cam- the camera gets put on that person and you watch them do their thing and go, oh yeah, you're a star. Like Victor and I look at each other and, and Victor goes, wow, this person is incredible. Yeah. And Jen is one of those people. She is. And, and there's a lot of people uh, like that in Vancouver who, who work constantly. And I'm always stunned, for example, why Patrick Gilmore. Oh, we've got him too. Yeah, yeah, of course. You have to have Patrick. Yeah, he's so funny and has so much heart. And he's he can make you laugh and break your heart in the same scene. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So strong. Yeah, and and, I, and yeah. I love, you know, I love I love the fact that he's here and still in Canada. I love the fact that, that you're still in Canada. I, 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 uh, I'm a proud Canadian and, I, and I, I'm trying very hard to get another show and to do it here. Great. Because it's important. It's important that we have uh, indigenous uh, television industry. I agree with you for sure. And for Susan too, for uh, getting a a show on, on TV in a very very difficult environment. Oh my she God, getting a show done in Canada is so hard. Mm-hmm. She deserves it too. She's so good at what she does. She's so fair. She's so kind. Gentle. She she you know yeah and and you know as you know it trickles down from the top right. When you have a tyrant who's running a show, it's just, it, there's just this like, I don't know, this dark cloud over everything. But when you have someone who's kind and fair and fun and gives everybody the time of day and wants to hear everybody's opinion and, and also says good job to everybody, um, you know, there's just this really beautiful vibe of people wanting to come to work every day, being excited to come to work. It, it, there's a some of it's some of it seeped up from America, and because I've worked a lot on uh, with M, with the Outer Limits and with MGM shows, and there seems to be this belief in some people that if it's not painful, it can't be good. And I uh-huh. I, I believe the opposite. I I think if it if it's a root canal, you're not going to give your best. No, and that's not just that's that's everything. That's that's the not not just the performers, but every key on the, on the show, everybody mm-hmm. who works on the show, who is giving so much, mm-hmm. it blows me away how hard people work in this business. Yeah, me too. And you know, from, well, you spent your life in it. It's you, you said earlier that, that uh, theater acting is, is difficult. Television and film acting ain't no walk in the park. It's not, you're right. I mean, it's, it's, it's extremely arduous and long days and, you know, especially episodic television, because you are constantly moving and constantly trying to get your day. And then once that episode's over, you're on to the next thing. And it's a whole new, you know, bag of tricks and can of worms. And you just have to constantly be on the ball. And I think, you know, once the season wraps, that's why most of us just fall into bed <laughs> for three weeks you know what I mean because it's just like yeah. did that just happen like it was such a whirlwind that you go did that just happen oh my god I'm tired yeah I, I always I always end up having that yeah that sense of I have to do something yes I have to no I guess I don't I don't really have to do something <laughs> yes yeah exactly oh man Strange. but it's fun I it's I've never had more there's no more fun place to be in the world uh than on a show that's that is uh, doing well happy and well well run it's it you come to work and you smile at everybody and and mm-hmm. and you're happy to see them it's fun 
on Monday. Mm -hmm. Hey, uh, July, uh, one of the things, as you know, because, uh, because we, we put up uh, fan questions out to the world and we recorded them. And it's, it's kind of a lot of fun that we're doing this. And uh, the companion has them recorded and, and, and lined up and ready to go. So I, uh, why don't we uh, jump at some of those Great. right now? Great. Hello, Jewel. It's Adele Murray. I work in, in a garage, which is a male-dominated place, you know, being the only girl. <laughs> Uh, my question for you is, how did it feel taking on the role of Kaylee and practically doing the same thing as me? Also, absolutely loved your little cameo as Amy in Supernatural. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I never, maybe it was because I was so young. I just, I didn't, uh, I wasn't at that stage in my life where I gave much of a hoot about that sort of thing. <laughs> um, I didn't give it much thought. I just loved the fact that Kaylee was this juxtaposition where she was very girly. She was a little boy crazy. She wore her heart on her sleeve. She was very loving and very open, but she also just loved machines. She just always had and was naturally very, very good at working engines and working on machines. That was just her thing. Um, and, and it wasn't uh, the basis of who she was. It was just her favorite hobby. So I thought it was great that she was in charge of this giant spaceship and in charge of making it run. But um, she had a lot of faith in herself. And because of that, she did great work. And everybody else had a lot of faith in her, too. There are some uh, much-needed changes, though, happening in, in the in the uh, television workplace. It, there's there's just no question that 30 years ago, when I started, it, it was practically an old boys club, uh, and took a long time to transition. And hiring a a woman director uh, used to be this. Uh, uh, this thing that uh, that you know you you would do because you thought well so and so should direct and and uh, and now it, it's it should be fifty percent of the of the people who mm-hmm. who uh, are directing should be women it should be that there should be women's voices in the writers room there should be diversity of all kinds in in the in the writers room and and uh, behind the directors in the director's chair and and so. That I mean, your answer is is uh, specific to Kaylee, but surely there's been you've seen the the need and the transition uh, in the last few years, especially in oh, the workplace. Most definitely, and it's also very important that we have a female point of view. Um, yeah, you know, I, I we've had so many great female directors and writers doing family law. It's, it's so nice to see them get the chance uh, to be able to. Um, show their vision and, and, and see what they can do. So it's about time. And, and uh, these women are now in really high demand, which is exciting to see. It is. It is. Yeah. Tommy, go ahead. Hey, Joel, big fan. Um, my question is, as somebody who was actively a huge part of the show, um, what's your feelings towards Firefly making a comeback, if that was ever a possibility? Do you think enough time has passed that it should be left alone? Or would you be happy uh, as a cast member to jump into a reboot? Uh, I think we both know what answer I want you to say here, Joel. Come on, work with me. (laughs) I, uh, of course, I would be happy to jump back in. I think we all would. It would be very interesting to see where these people are now, having aged, having uh, experienced a lot of life, probably a lot of peril knowing them um, and seeing where they are. Yeah, I would I would be very curious to see that. I think some people are a little worried that it would be as good as the original and therefore why should we mess with a good thing and yada, yada. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm always uh, curious to see where those characters would be. And jumping jumping back into the skin of a character that you haven't played in a very long time would be mm-hmm. interesting and challenging too. Yes, very interesting. In a way, what this AI thing is, you're going to be doing lines for Keller that 
that will be written by an AI. So there's that disclaimer, but, mm -hmm. but, but, but your approach to Keller might be different too. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, been a long I don't time. know. I know. It's like, is it like riding a bike? Do you just slip back into it? I don't know. It's, it's very interesting though. I've, I'm, I'm curious what that would be like. We did a little test. Uh, we did a little test uh, of the uh, little teaser test of the AI wrote a little script uh, and, and uh, David Hewlett, uh, read it. I don't know if you saw that, but uh, no. But one of his uh, one of his uh, lines that, that was pure vintage McKay, and and talk about just jumping back into character without any consternation. It was, oh come on! Uh -huh. <laughs> he, uh -huh. he did it with that with that ebullience uh, that uh, that uh, only David could bring uh -huh. to a line like that. Tommy, hi Jewel, I'm Sarah, and thanks for answering my question. I really like your food blog, Happy Opu. So I have a food-related question. If you're on death row and had one last meal, what would it be? Would you be making it or would you have someone else make it for you? Oh, this is a very good question. I would have someone else make it for me. I would go to or have it brought to me um, the roasted quail with mashed potatoes from L'Atelier Joel Robichon. That is my all-time favorite dish. I went to L'Atelier in Las Vegas and expected to see that dish on the menu. They only do a tasting menu there. So I think you get seven courses um, and it wasn't there. And I was so devastated. And I'd said to them, oh, what happened to the quail? And I think they were afraid I might cry or something. So they made it for me anyway. <laughs> Now, is that the power of celebrity? Or I don't know. Are they just a great I think restaurant? they were just like, I think this girl's going to have a meltdown. Um, <laughs> I'm the kind of person that travels to places for the food, right? So we went to Las Vegas to eat at L'Atelier. Um, and uh, it's basically one of the best dishes in the world. Martin Garrow. I was going to say, on. didn't you go to Michael Mina there too? Oh, God. Martin Garrow is responsible for my food obsession. When I met Martin Garrow, he you know, basically turned me into a monster. He took me to tasting menu after tasting menu. He got me into going to Vegas just for the food. And we would do the tasting menu everywhere we went. We would do nothing but eat and drink wine. And um, yeah, I fell in love with that restaurant. And, and everybody knows, I mean, if you know, you know, Joe Robichon has the best mashed potatoes in the entire universe. And I saw the recipe once and was absolutely horrified at the amount of butter in those potatoes, which explains why they taste so good. There's a reason it's good, Joe. <laughs> I know, but it's worth it. God, they're so good. <laughs> it's like, why don't my potatoes taste like that? Oh yeah. Cause I'm not adding a pound of butter. Yes. And, 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 uh, foie gras and, yes. uh, who, who knows what is in there. Oh, I, uh, I so took good. my wife for her 60th to, uh, to Daniel in New York, oh, yes. and yes. we had the tasting menu there. Uh -huh. And uh, it, it is—it's the, the beauty of tasting menus. It's the whole evening, it, and uh, yes. it's and, and you know you just if you if you go easy on the wine and you pair it nicely, yes, it's really the most fun you can have if, if your company's fun. It's spectacular. It's my my favorite thing to do. Just go to a fabulous restaurant, have the tasting menu. It's my favorite thing. Yeah, and and that's that's the one thing I think I missed the most during mm. COVID. Yes, me too. We we love to cook, and I and I'm sure you do too. But yes, but when but having to. Yes, I know. I, 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 I yeah, I love to cook. I just don't want to be forced to have to cook. You know, every once in a while, you want to take a break and go to a nice restaurant. I know from Twitter. Um, that you have a young son and uh, yes. and is, is he going to be a foodie or is he a... Look, I, I always said I would never have a picky eater. My child would eat everything that we eat. And you know, I'm, I'm eating my words is what's happening because he is, first of all, he's a sassy pants and he, he just, he, he is not very adventurous and we're trying, we have a new thing uh, called the new food dance where every night he gets something new. He gets a little bit of whatever we're having for dinner on his plate of, I call it beige food, you know, grilled cheese and whatever kids food. 
Um, and he tries it no matter what, he has to try it. And every once in a while, he likes it. And then he says, mom, new food. And we all do the new food dance. Yeah, that's what my life is now. I don't know how I got here, but here we are. Hey, listen, I, I, uh, my, uh, when my kids are very young, they're, they're both in their thirties and they're teachers now, they both teach high school, but you know, way back when my kids were your age, your kid's age, um, we had a hard time getting them to eat at all. Yeah. And, and uh, one of the things they would do uh, when they were very young is, is like want to go under the table mm-hmm. and, and, and growl. I shouldn't be admitting this. I might cut this from the podcast, but <laughs> you know, you do what you, you should, need to do. This sounds very familiar to me. Go on. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's what you got to do. You got to, you got to yeah. get food into women and, uh, no matter what, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah. It's like, you, I just need you to eat. Yes. And I don't care what it is, but you, if you want spaghetti for the, the third night in a row, fine. But you have to eat. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's that's where we're at. But I have dreams, you see. Like, I, I think there are certain things that are genetic, right? So surely, and my husband and I are both obsessed with food and eat anything and everything. So surely that's in him somewhere, right? Like eventually he'll grow into that. I just, I have faith. I have these, these dreams and visions of sitting in a restaurant, having a tasting menu with my son. Eventually he's only five. So give him time. Have you ever heard of super tasters? No. Super tasters are people who, who, um, for whom the flavor of food is incredibly intense. Yes. I have heard. And I think my youngest daughter has that. Yeah. And, and she'll say, this is so spicy. And I'll go, mm-hmm. what? Yeah. It's not even remotely spicy, but it, it maybe her, I think she, maybe she has more taste buds. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe. Uh, now that she's uh, 30, uh, it's, it's, she's, it's fine. <laughs> okay. That's good to hear. Yes. It'll, it, it, you may have to wait a while, but it'll happen. That's fine. I'm happy to wait a while as long as it's eventually. Yeah, certainly. Don't wish their, their lives away. Tommy, go ahead. Hi, Joel. I have a question for you. Uh, so I wondered, throughout your career, you've played lots of different roles. Uh, have any of them really stuck in your mind? Any particular episodes or scenes that you loved? And on the flip side, are there any scenes that you feel like you could approach differently after more experience in your career? Uh, yes. I second guess everything I've ever done. Um, I force myself to watch everything I've done at least once because I know that's how I'll learn, but I nitpick everything I do. So yeah, I feel like I, I, I want to do almost, almost every, every single scene I've ever done over again, (laughs) I could do it better. (laughs) Um, but my, the, the roles that stick out the most would be, uh, Kaylee Keller, uh, Raquel from LA complex and Abby from family law. Those are the ones that, that, uh, resonate the most with me. And I think it's just because I've gotten such great scripts and gotten great words to say and, and great character arcs. So I, I uh, feel like those are my, my top for sure. Cool. Go ahead, Tommy. This is for Jewel and Brad. This is Gary P. What do you all both do for yourself personally to recharge yourself? Okay. Do you want me to go first? Sure. Uh, I think that, um, especially as a writer, uh, it's it's very important to have a, a life um, outside of the business. And in fact, for me, after you know, Stargate went for a lot of years, and I worked a lot of hours and got close to burned out a couple of times. And and the thing to do to recharge myself was just to go home, and and to and to have to cut the food for my kids and and take out the dog uh, uh, for a walk in the rain, and take out the garbage at the at the end of the driveway, uh, and just to ground myself in or, the ordinary things of life because because. If you and you know have have a glass of wine with my wife uh, after dinner and 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 yap about things that aren't work, um, that's 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 more important than anything else. It doesn't. You can say go on vacations, and I could say golf because I love golf, uh, and and golf is a great way to spend four hours without thinking about work. But but the ordinary life, the simple things in life, uh, putting your kids to bed, reading them a story. All of those things were what got me through 
what could have otherwise been very stressful. And uh, recognizing that those are the things that I'm doing the long days for and uh, recognizing that uh, when the career is over uh, and and you don't always get to decide that, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, that those that's what you're going home to. So uh, that that's my answer. I think um, finding a way to pause the to-do list is really important to me, for me, for my mental health. I make myself have days of nothing (laughs) where I'm not allowed to do anything on that to-do list. Lie around, read a book. Reading is one of my favorite things to do and spend some alone time. Another thing that grounds me and is so important to me is walking through a forest. I am a huge fan of forest walks and we have a lot of forests around where we live and we spend a lot of time on the Gulf Islands. My uh, mother-in-law lives on Galliano and we go to Galliano a fair amount and walking the trails on Galliano makes you feel like you're a million miles away from all of those things that seem to matter in the day-to-day don't really matter that much um and it just gives you pause to reflect and relax and breathe in some fresh air i'm going to add one to your last list and that is uh long dinners of uh a tasting menu with oh yes i mean look yes 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 Yes. (laughs) let's add that to both of our lists yes 100 (laughs) indulgence (laughs) yes once in a while you can't do it all the time i know go ahead tony Hey, Jewel. My name is Brian Cutter. I have a quick question about Kaylee. She was a very interesting character in that she both seemed worldly wise and supremely pure and innocent at the same time. And I'm wondering how that dichotomy in her character struck a chord with you and what personal experiences you used to portray her to the best of your ability. Well, Kaylee and I are very, very different people. So for me, it was great fun because we were so opposite in a lot of ways. Um, I think she's she's um, a little more naive than she is worldly, for sure. She grew up in a very small town. She was raised by her dad. Um, she lived a, a rather sheltered life, but she just has a zest for adventure, um, which, you know, brought her to the ship and brought her to that crew. Um, but she was always surprising to me. I never knew what she was going to say next. I never knew what she was going to do next. I never knew what kind of facet we were going to learn about Kaylee's personality or her past. And one of the biggest letdowns of Firefly ending so early was that all of us were just so excited to learn more about these people we were playing. We just didn't know enough. So it's unfinished business for me. (laughs) Great. Well, listen, I really enjoyed chatting with you. Likewise. It was, uh, it's going to be so much fun doing uh, be fun. doing this AI project, this science project. I hope it doesn't replace me as a writer because I would love to write for you again one day. I want you to write for me too, Brad. <laughs> yes, please. Do me a favor and say hi to Susan for me. I will. Susan Nielsen I and will. Victor. I don't think he'll remember me, but it, it was a... I'm, uh, he's one of those people I got a little Star Trek with uh, meeting uh-huh. him, and uh, and thank you so much. It was so enjoyable. I uh, I hope we don't have to sit uh, by accident on a on a plane to Toronto next time to see each other again. I agree. I think you know what I think we should do, Brad. I think we should do a tasting menu. <gasps> That's a great idea. Let's do it. Yes. The next time we are in the same city, I'm going to hold you to it. We're going to do a fabulous tasting menu okay sounds sounds that sounds like a good idea also uh, don't rule out vegas because it's one of my favorite places in the world for the same reason let's go hey <laughs> I, am, I am always in for vegas <laughs> me too <laughs> it's just you know i'm just gonna have to decide where to eat but you know. perfect well or 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 uh or, or flip a coin because there's so many yeah. choices yeah i know that's why you need at least two nights three nights there oh just, yeah just but no eat. more no more no no then you have to leave <laughs> yes that's the rule of age your tail between your legs yes exactly <laughs> having gained five pounds yes but it's worth it <laughs> that, was, that was great fun jewel thanks so much thank you brad is she great i love working with jewel 
If you enjoyed this interview, you can find my essays and a hundred more stories like these on the companion, including Stargate AI, which Jewel brought her A-game to. Check it out now at www.thecompanion.app. Hi there. This is Chief Master Sergeant Walter Harriman, your favorite gatekeeper. Have you ever wondered what it takes to become a certified Stargate technician? Well, now you can find out because I'm going to share my knowledge and experience with a select group of aspiring and enthusiastic gators. I want to give you a chance to be a hero too. That's why I'm happy to announce that on March 11th, I'll be taking a small number of students for my class, Gate Tech 101. Tickets are on sale now at thecompanion.app slash events. You won't want to miss this because it's not just a Stargate Master class. It's a Stargate Chief Master Sergeant class. See you there. But for now, Chevron 7 is locked.